morning, Kensington. How we doing? Hey, it's Palm Sunday. Is anyone excited? I know. Welcome to our Palm Sunday service. This is Act One of our entire Easter series, and so we want to start this day off uh, singing Hosanna. So if you would go ahead and stand with me, I'm going to read a verse, um, and then we're going to sing this together as a church. It's Matthew 21, verse 8 through 11. It says, most of the crowd spread their coats on the road ahead of Jesus, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. He was in the center of the procession, and the crowds all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was stirred as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So we're going to sing this together as we begin our service.
My name is Richie Christie. I'm our student ministries director. You guys can take a seat as we get going on this Palm Sunday. Man, we're really excited that you decided to make it out here today for actually Act 1 of 3 during our uh, whole thing that we're calling the greatest show on earth. Uh, So Act 1 is today. Act 2 will be Good Friday. And then we'll wrap it all up next weekend for Easter of Act 3. But to tell you a little bit more about what's coming up for Easter, why don't you check this video out from Dave Wilson, one of our founding pastors. Every magic trick has three acts, and we believe the story of Easter has three acts as well. This Easter season, we are so excited to invite you to a series we are calling The Greatest Show on Earth. Our team has been working to create a three-part journey that begins at Palm Sunday, laying out the story of Jesus' entry to the city of Jerusalem as just an ordinary man on a donkey to his extraordinary act of love on Good Friday. Everything culminates on Easter Sunday as we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead in the most amazing, death-defying act in all of history. A magician knows the secret behind the illusion, but with the story of Jesus, there is no illusion. We believe that this amazing story is all actually real. Join us as we reveal the hidden secrets to this story and see for ourselves the miraculous gift that is offered to each of us through the greatest show on earth. you're not going to want to miss uh, this awesome weekend. We want to encourage you to invite your friends, family, get them out here because it's going to be great. And as you might expect, it takes a lot of hands to pull off Easter. And so if you're looking for maybe an opportunity to volunteer or jump in with us, uh, we'd love to, to have you do that. And so if you want to volunteer for a serving role at uh, Easter, head to the lobby after service. You can sign up there. But we got two things right after Easter that I want to put on your radar so you don't forget them. Uh, two weekends after Easter, we have baptism which is one of our favorite weekends of the year. And so if you're sitting here and maybe you haven't taken that step, but you started following Jesus, this would be a great step for you to take uh, to get baptized that weekend. So you can sign up for that online. And then shortly after that, we have a brand new thing we're doing called the Move Out Conference. And so the Move Out Conference is where we're going to gather all of our campuses together for any of you who are interested of really asking the question of what would happen if the church wasn't contained on a piece of land? What would happen if the church wasn't contained by its walls? What would take place if we really moved out to love our neighbor, love the misfit, and really love the one? And so we, we're going to gather for a weekend to really talk about that with some incredible speakers of what does it look like to take our faith outside of this place. And so we want to invite you to that, to do that as well. But the last thing, uh, last but certainly not least, uh, we, last week we started our, or launched into our last year of our capital campaign called Everyone. So when you walked in, you should have been given a little pamphlet on that. And if you uh, would like, you can drop that off in the offering uh, as a pledge to jump into our last year of our Everyone campaign. Or read it and hear a little bit about what's going on around here. But we're going to get going with the rest of the day. So if you want to stand up, say hello to a neighbor, we'll crunch in the middle and get going with Palm Sunday.
watching closely. Every magic trick consists of three parts or acts. The first part is called the pledge. The magician shows you something ordinary. A deck of cards, a bird, or a man. He shows you this object. Perhaps he asks you to inspect it, to see that it is indeed real, unaltered, normal. But of course, it probably isn't. We've de designed our Holy Week services around a magic show. And it's interesting because if you've ever been to a great magician's show or you've ever practiced magic yourself, you realize that there's really three parts to a great show. And the first part is Act 1, and that's called the Pledge. And that's when the magician shows you something that's normal. A deck of cards, a black box, a hat. And he says, inspect it, right? And you look at it and you think... It looks normal. It, yeah, it's normal. But inside you know it's really not. And the second part of a magic trick is called the turn. And the turn is when that magician takes that very normal object and he makes it disappear. And at this point you're wondering, how is he doing what he is doing, right? It becomes a question like, gosh, what just happened? How did I miss it? How did that thing go away? But yet you don't clap yet. Because, you see, it's not really a magic trick until the magician does his final act. And the hardest act to pull off is called the prestige. And that's when he takes that very ordinary object that he has made disappear and he brings it back to life. And that follows the Easter story to a certain extent. See, I believe a lot of us come into Easter and we have that question mark. Was this whole thing with Palm Sunday and Good Friday and the resurrection, smoke and mirrors? Is, is it just a great story that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, but it doesn't affect or apply to me at all in my life? And so we're going to take the Easter story and we're going to take these next three services starting today and we're going to pull back the curtain. We're going to dig into the history and the empirical evidence and the scriptures to find out why the things happened the way they happened. What was the purpose and how does it apply to you and me? Because this is what we believe is that there was no magic trick in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. There was no magic at all. It was a miracle from God and it was true. And it's still true today, and it changes how we live. And that's why we believe it is the greatest show on earth. Come tell everyone there's a stirring in the air. The children run to fill the streets, they're yelling, open up the gates. Come one and all, come old and young to see the city come alive. The beating drums. 
Yeah. 
donkey no power no prestige no great name he just comes in simply on a donkey i think this music and and the excitement of hosanna wasn't that incredible right with the dancers and the energy all the way down to the who is this is this simple man truly the messiah kind of earmarks the emotions of this holy week doesn't it that we go through that we feel and very similar to this magic act in this first part of it with the pledge where the magician shows something incredibly ordinary simple and yet it has such deeper significance and meaning and i think that's exactly what we're looking at today for palm sunday jesus enters into Jerusalem, the epic spiritual center of the time he was there. It was, it was the city. It was the spiritual capital of the world. And he enters into it riding a donkey. It's an incredible story, and it begins our Holy Week. And I don't know if you've done much with magic or been to many magic shows, but my son, when he was in eighth grade, decided that he wanted to be in the talent show. And so I'm a really sweet, kind, loving mother. And when he came to me two weeks before this magic show and said, Hey, Mom, I want to be in this magic show. I'm like, sweetheart, you have no talent. I'm so sorry. Like, you're, you're my child, and I'm sorry. It's genetic. You don't sing. You don't dance. You've never played an instrument, which is all true. Although he did, you know, he did bang on the drums when he was four, and I think that was primarily to annoy me. And I'm like, honey, you just don't, what are you going to do? And he's like, Mom, I'm going to learn magic, and I'm going to do a magic show in two weeks. I'm like, how are you going to do that? And he's like, well, Mom, there's YouTube. How else would I learn it? 
And he said, besides, there's this store in Clawson called The Underground, and they teach classes. And, Mom, you just need to give me your checkbook, and we'll be good. I will be so ready for this magic show in two weeks. And that's exactly what he did. And in those two weeks, he learned, because Andrew is a, like a, he's a precision guy, he learned the exact mechanics of the tricks. And our house became like a college-level magic like learning academy in those two weeks. That's all we talked about. And at the end of it, I watched him with precision go through every trick perfectly. And I looked at him and I said, honey, you're really boring. (laughs) It's going to be a horrible show. Don't you understand that the real trick with the magician is how he connects with the audience and how they connect with him. And honey, you got to like have some showmanship or something. And he's like, mom, that's not who I am. I'm just going to do the tricks. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this kid's going to bomb. I hope like, I'm just going to sit in the way back because you got to go because you're the parent, right? You still got to go. And, uh, and he's just going to bomb. And that's not what happened at all, actually. As a matter of fact, he was asked to do that same magic show, the four-act, whatever it was he did, multiple times after that for this middle school and even for some stuff in high school. It was really funny that that became a part of of how he was used in the school system. Tells you something right there. But anyhow, um, and as I look at this day and we look at Palm Sunday, I wonder if some of us feel the exact same way. That it's really all smoke and mirrors. It really doesn't apply to me. We talked about that earlier. How does Palm Sunday really connect with me? And so today, in order to answer that question, we are going to pull back the curtain. We're going to dig a little deeper in scripture and in history to understand the significance of the events that occurred on this day thousands of years ago. And before we do that, we're going to receive our offering. If you are new to Kensington, sit back and relax and be our guest right now. But if you call this place home, and this is where you have a chance to give back to God some of the resources that he has given you, take advantage of this time. And also, if you're part of the Everyone campaign and you haven't turned in your pledge card, this is a chance for you to drop your pledge card in the bag as it passes as well. So we're going to dig right into scripture today. Today is, is going to be a, a heavy learning day. Um, and we're going to start in Luke 19. I'm just so good with all this technology. It takes me five minutes just to get the iPad set up. Anyway, Luke 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. So let me set the scene here. Jesus had been on earth for 33 years at this point. He had traveled, he had built an entourage or a group of actually what they would have called disciples at the time who followed him. He was known as a teacher. He um, had ticked off a ton of people. There were a lot of people who felt that he was heretical in what he was saying and even that his, um, his following was in direct competition to their followings. And those were mostly the church leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But they were also not just church leaders. They were political powers. They were connected to the Roman government. And the Roman government leaders looked at these spiritual leaders to control the Jews, in essence. So they were hand in hand with the Roman leaders at the time. So what they said mattered. And Jesus made no bones about it. When he spoke to them, he did not speak nicely. So here he is at the end of his his life that we know now, but no one knew then. And he's entering into Jerusalem. And this is how the story begins. He's got a lot of 
disciples and people cheering for him, but he also has a lot of enemies. So that's the scene that we're walking into on this Palm Sunday years ago. Verse 29, and as he approached Bethpage, Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Now, a colt, when I think of a colt, I rode a lot of horses growing up. Um, that was kind of my thing I did before I started high school. And a colt to me was a young horse. But a colt in this scripture is actually referring to a young donkey. Untie it and bring it here. In verse 31, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say the Lord needs it. And those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. Okay, this is basically like going to your neighbor and asking for his car keys. I mean, that's in essence what this donkey was. This donkey was a mode of transportation for the people at the time. So that's going to your neighbor and asking for his car keys and saying, hey, the Lord needs it. Give me your keys. I am seriously going to do this this week. I'm going to try it. I'm going to go to my neighbor and say, hey, the Lord needs your car. Can I have the keys? It sounds bizarre. But yet because God was who he was, he knew and already had planned out that this donkey and this whole story began on this miracle happening, this small miracle happening where the owner of the donkey said, sure, have my donkey, have my colt. You see, it matters because when we look back 500 years before this event, we go back in time even further, Zechariah prophesied or he foretold, predicted that this was going to happen and he did it in writing. So we're going to look at Zechariah, the book of Zechariah in the Bible, chapter 9, verse 9, and hear what he said here. In verse 9 it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the first clue that we unravel as we kind of pull the curtain back to this story and understand what's happening behind it is that the donkey was significant. The donkey is our first clue. Why? The donkey was an animal of peace, not an animal of war. The donkey was a very humble animal. It's like you're going and you're asking for your neighbor's old beater car. That's what you're asking for. You're not getting a limo. You're not getting a caddy. You're saying, can I have that old beater car that's rusted out for my Lord to ride in? And that's in essence what Jesus was doing. And that donkey signified peace. And here's the interesting thing. The Jewish people at the time would have known this prophecy. They would have heard it time and time again, read in their synagogues during their worship times. And they would have known that their Messiah was coming as a Messiah of peace, not of war. And the the prophecy continues. Verse 10, and I will take away, meaning Jesus here, this is part of Zechariah's prophecy. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So what is Zechariah saying about this Messiah? He is saying that he's going to take away the chariots. That that was a vehicle of war. He's going to take away the war horses because those were animals of war. 
See, you rode your horses into battle because they were swift and they were quick. And instinctively, horses know and hate the smell of blood and they will run from it. Or they also will run toward it if they are angry. Horses are designed to be war animals. And this Messiah was going to take away the war horses, break the, the bow, the instrument of death. He will proclaim peace to the nation and his rule will be from sea to sea. Jesus' rule covers all tribes, all colors, all languages, all landholds. His rule is from sea to sea. And that's what the Jews would have known about their coming Messiah. But in the moments that Jesus was on this donkey, on his way into Jerusalem, they missed that very important clue of who Jesus Christ was and what he was coming to do. We continue in verse 35. They brought it, the donkey, to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So clue number two are palm fronds. How many of you grabbed a palm frond on your way in? I see them. You guys have your palm fronds. Why do we do that? What is the significance of the palm fronds? Except that you can make really cool decorations and hang them on your walls at home, right? Or it gives you something to do during the message when it gets really slow, right? No, the significance of the palm fronds is to pay homage, homage to Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They threw their cloaks on the ground and they threw palm fronds down in front of them. As a way to honor and to raise and elevate this man riding in on the donkey. But you see, the reason that they were doing that is because they had an agenda that they expected Jesus to fulfill for them. See, they weren't taking him for who he was. They wanted something out of him. And I wonder how different we really are today. They were ruled and oppressed by the Roman government the Jews were at the time. And they wanted victory over the Romans. They wanted to overthrow their oppressors. And they were looking at their Messiah to come in with a battle cry and the power and the might and the horses to do exactly that. They wanted their Messiah to go to war for them. And I wonder how different we are today. When we look at who Jesus Christ is in our lives and what we ask him to do for us. I don't think we're much different. But they missed it. When they were throwing the palm palms down and when they were throwing their coats on the ground, they missed it because he was riding a donkey, not a war horse. He was on that donkey. Verse 37 And when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they have seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were screaming this out. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So our third clue is singing. You see, when they were actually singing this verse... Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were actually quoting Psalm 118 that was written by David years and years and years ago. And that psalm, if you read the whole thing, actually talks about a God, a Messiah who comes in peace. 
who comes to do his work on the inside for people's lives, not on the outside. And that same God would be rejected. Because in Psalm 18, it talks about how Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. This Messiah is the stone, the cornerstone. It's the stone the builders rejected. And it became the cornerstone. And that's exactly what they were screaming out without even realizing that it would be just days that they would scream for his very death. And as they screamed out and praised him and praised him, Jesus knew that their quotes and their words from that psalm were actually foreshadowing his future death. It's ironic, but it's not ironic at all. And they missed it. Verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, the Pharisees weren't cool with this. This was their territory. This was their city. They ruled it. They controlled it. They had authority. And they were listened to. And now all of a sudden, here comes this guy on a donkey making a mockery of everything they had worked their lives to build. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Stop them from screaming out your praise. And Jesus responds, I tell you, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Even the stones will cry out. Because God's deity is not dependent on our applause. God's deity is not dependent on whether we agree or not. It supersedes our decision, our, our, our uh, uh, abandonment of what we believe it is above what we agree or disagree with. And if we don't agree with it, it won't matter. Creation itself does. And it's interesting because when you think about rocks crying out, rocks don't cry out, but rocks make noise. When do rocks make noise? When they hit something. When they bang against themselves, they make a lot of noise. Have you ever heard in a, in a um, what's the word, earthquake? Have you ever heard rocks tumble down on each other? It's deafening. It's deafening. And it's interesting because Jesus prophesies about that happening in the next few verses. Continuing the story, though, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, Jesus did something really weird here. As he approaches Jerusalem, he's on this donkey. People are throwing down their cloaks, throwing down the palm fronds, quoting scripture that had such deeper meaning they didn't even realize it. And he's entering into the city and he weeps. Actually, the translation of that word is not just weeps. He sobs from his inner spirit. He sobs. Verse 41, and as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You see, Jesus came and knew what his mission was. He came humbly on a donkey. He came with a mission of peace. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman government. He didn't come to change the circumstances. He came to change the people. He came to change their hearts. He came to fix what was broken inside of them. And when that changes, everything else changes. 
But the people wanted the circumstances to change. The people wanted the oppression to change. The pain to go away. And Jesus wept. Wept for them out of great love. Can you imagine him walking up, riding up on this donkey into his beloved city? He would have run up those steps into Jerusalem. If any of you have ever been there, it's an incredible city. He would have run up those stone steps as a child. Multiple times for every festival and every Jewish holiday, he would have run up those steps and through those tight quarters looking for family and friends. It would have been a home to him. It would have been a precious place of celebration and reverence and spiritual growth. And he looked at his beloved city And more than that, he looked at his beloved family, friends, and people, and he wept. Because they didn't know who he was, and they didn't want what he was. They wanted someone else. And he wept. And then he spoke out. He prophesied. He foretold the future. Starting in verse 43, he said, the days will come upon you. When your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you in on every side, they will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Remember the rocks crying out? They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Seventy years later, in 70 A.D., A Roman general came and did exactly that in a matter of 10 days. In 10 days, he took an army. I don't even know how he, the size of these builders and the number of people. In 10 days, he built a five foot wall that was 13 feet high with different tower watches on it. In 10 days, he surrounded the city of Jerusalem and and closed them in. And you know how we know this? We don't know this from Scripture. This isn't even in Scripture. This is in the writings of Josephus, who was a historical writer at the time. So this is just in the history books of the time that this guy came, Titus, and he encircled Jerusalem, and he starved out the people. And here's something I learned when I was in Israel last time. You know the rocks cry out? It's interesting. At the temple, they separated these huge stone rocks. If you've ever seen them, they're incredibly beautiful. But they they welded them together with gold, pure gold. They would put in between these rocks, and, and the temple just shone, right? But when this happened, and they seized the city, and they ended up taking it over, the Romans... They wanted the gold out of the rocks, so they melted it. And in so doing, the rocks tumbled on each other and cried out. Seventy years later, Jesus' words were accomplished. And Jesus knew it would happen, and his heart broke. His heart broke. And I wonder, as we pull back this curtain and as we look at the events of Palm Sunday and we understand the significance and the depth of what happened that day, I wonder if we're any different than the people who missed those clues along the way today. You see, we want the God we want, not the God who is. And I'm no different. When life happens and things are bad, I'm like, God, fix it. Fix my husband, fix my daughter, fix my son, fix my job, 
Fix the pain I have in my back once a week. Fix it. God, I expect you, if you love me, to fix it. And the second he doesn't fix it, my next go-to is, do you love me? Are you real? Are you really the king of all things? Do you really have all power? Are you really omnipotent? And I begin to question immediately. Matt Chandler has a quote. He said, we don't want the all-powerful, loving God of the universe to do as he sees fit. We want a divine waitress to fetch us what we want, don't we? I know I've cried out those prayers. It's interesting, though. We look at an account of Jesus' time in John where he was actually backing up from Palm Sunday. He was teaching loads and loads of people. He was beginning to have popularity that was crazy. And he took, he fed 5,000 people with a couple fish and a couple loaves of bread. You know that story? Yep. I'm telling you, 5,000 people. I'm planning a wedding for 200 people in a few weeks. I can't even imagine. Like, I'm overwhelmed with the dishes right there. And the Lord does just 5,000. I need him to plan that wedding, right? How good would that be? But I tell you, and literally, how good would that be? (laughs) But I tell you, this is what he says. So these people have been fed, 5,000 of them, and they hang around the next day because who wouldn't? Free meal Jesus. Who doesn't want to hang around and get another free food that was like obviously amazing because Jesus made it himself. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, he says, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, they were looking for candy Jesus, for Santa Claus Jesus, for fairy Jesus. They wanted him to give them what they were dreaming and wishing and hoping for. They didn't want him for who he was because what he had to offer them was so much more. But what they wanted was what they could see. And the, and, the par- and the story continues in John. Jesus tells them what he is. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. You see, that's what Jesus offers us. He doesn't say, Chris, I'm going to fix your marriage. He says, Chris, I'm going to fix you. Chris, I'm not going to take away that struggle in your life. I'm going to have you walk through that struggle because that struggle in time will teach you perseverance, will teach you patience, will teach you forgiveness. And you will be able to love someone deeply because of the struggle you've been through when you talk about it with them when they're going through it too. It will become a platform that I will give you to love others differently. So why would I take it away When it will be a gem, a gem in your crown someday. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? Are you willing to walk through it? Are you willing to work on the character? Are you willing to work on the faithfulness? Are you willing to persevere? And I'm always like, dude, no. Take it away. I don't want it anymore. And he says, no, I love you enough to leave it. So look to me to change the inside. You will never go thirsty. I am the bread of life. I'm, I'm the, sorry, you'll never go hungry. I'm the bread of life. John six sixty six finishes out the story. When Jesus tells them who he is, when he declares the incredible gift 
the depth of what he has to offer. Look what the people do. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You see, they were fans. They weren't followers. Fans are people who cheer when their team does something really great, right? Hey, good job, Mitch. Good job on the field, whatever. Lions. Red, red what are they called? <laughs> Thank you. I'm thinking Red Hawks. That's my kid's team. Whoops. Red Wings. Good job. We're all fans in Detroit. Man, we have the stickers. We have the, the shirts and, the, and all the stuff. We are fans, and that's a good thing. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, he's asking you to not cheer for him. He's asking you to follow him. He's asking you to know who he is and to know that that's best for you and to chase after him. And that's harder. It's easier to be a fan. I was one of those fans for my kid that when it was raining, I would like try to beg out of even having to go to the game. I was a fair weather fan, honestly. Like, that's who I am. I'm fickle. I'm not committed. And Jesus Christ is saying, no, no, no. I offer you the bread of life. If you come to me, you won't be hungry again. I offer you so much, Kristen. Stay with me. Chase after me. And watch me change you. And in turn, change everything in your life. You see, we want the God we want, not the God who is. But the God who is, is the God we need. See, we're all broken. We're all sinners. And it started when we were this high. We all went our own way. We all chased after our own dreams, our own selfish ambition. And we did it in the way that we saw fit. And in doing that, we became sinners. And God, who is holy and perfect and just, can't even in his own character look on sin. But the God who is, is the God we need. He said... There's a problem. Send me. Send me. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Jesus, the God we worship, he goes and says, take me. I will pay the price. I will get on that cross. I will be scorned. I will be ridiculed. I will be beaten. My blood will flow because I love you. I will take what you deserve. And then he defeats death and he rises again from the grave and he hands out his hand to you and he builds a bridge and now he offers you the relationship that we on our own could never have with God because of our sin we were separated but because of Jesus Christ we have been reunited we have been reunited and that affects right now that affects today that affects this very minute for you and for me so will you be a fan Will you stand by the sidelines and will you cheer when God fixes something in your life? Or will you be a follower and will you plow through the pain and the sorrow? And will you look for him in the process and ask him to change who you are? And as a result, it affects everyone around you. I call out the band as I finish. My um, mom, when she was younger, she and my dad in their marriage of about 10 years at that point, were struggling, really struggling. And my mom and my dad left, and my mom went to the closest church to our home. It was Coleridge Presbyterian Church, and she signed that Sunday like that visitor card. You know, like when churches used to like want to know all your information? It was great. She signed the visitor card with her name and her address. And three days later, there was a knock at the door, and two people from the church showed up. 
And they started talking to her and getting to know her and finding out about her. And in the process of this conversation, they looked straight at her and said, Bonnie, if you were to die tonight, would you know for sure, for sure, for certain that you would go to heaven? She said, no. And she was told about this miraculous gift that this whole week is about. Jesus' death on the cross and how he took our payment. And he was the ultimate sacrifice. And how by that gift he offers us relationship with him. And she accepted him and became a follower that very day. And then that night she sat down with me and my siblings on our green shag carpet next to our white vinyl couch. This was Florida. With our palm tree wallpaper in the 70s, 80s. It was real. And she told us about this new friend she met that day. And she had no idea the way he would change her life. She didn't. Not then. None of us did. And I remember that night, and I remember accepting Jesus and saying, I want to be a follower. I want that. Mom, I want what you have. I want Jesus Christ to save me as well. And here's what happened in my mom's life. Years later, my dad and she actually got divorced. It didn't get easier. She fought cancer for 10 years. Her two daughters were super close to her. One moved to Michigan, and one moved to Texas. Her life was not easy. And next to that prayer chair, she had a box of Kleenex. (laughs) And I saw her use it all the time. You see, but what changed in her was who she was. She had a peace that didn't make sense. And I began to watch her live it out. She understood how God showed up in miracles every day for her and was her best friend. She held his hand through the mess and she became different because the God who is, is the God we need. He's the God we need right now for the mess in our lives and the struggle. He's the God we need to celebrate with when things are fantastic and your kids come home after they've been gone a long time. He's the same God today as he was then and he will be tomorrow. And my question to you, is will you choose to follow him this Passion Week? We're going to sing this beautiful song right now. Abby is going to sing this beautiful song. It's called I Will. And I wonder, as we sing this and you reflect the words in your own mind, if today you sing this song and you agree with it as a follower of Jesus Christ, no longer a fan.
So will I. The rocks cry out in silence. So will I. And if you if you want to do that with us right now, we're gonna sing that together. So will I If the 